All right. We're continuing our Apostles' Creed series that Pastor Bart uh, launched last week. Um, and today is God... Yes. My intro wasn't dramatic enough. I, I know, I know. Um, uh, last week, Pastor Bart talked about how the, the truths of the Apostles' Creed um, balance us. And he was talking about how he's known people that have been all about creation and um, how the world came to be, or how all about the gifts of the Spirit, or um, all about end times, whatever it may be. And I, I got to say, I've known people that are just obsessed with the Father heart of God, uh, which you may say, that, how is that a bad thing, uh, Gabriel? Well, to, almost to the point where, like, if you just get this, this is the key to unlocking your spiritual life. If you just get the Father heart of God, everything else falls into place. And I want to say, as someone preaching on the Father heart of God today, that this is incredibly important, but this is a part of a number of very essential spiritual truths that we're looking at over the next month. And so let's, again, think in terms of how the, the creed balances us, I think, so helpfully. Um, let me read to you this quote by Barbara Brown Taylor as we talk about God today. Uh, she says, Every letdown becomes a lesson and a lure. Did God fail to come when I called? Then perhaps God is not a minion. So who is God? Did God fail to punish my adversary? Then perhaps God is not a policeman. So who is God? Did God fail to make everything turn out all right? Then perhaps God is not a fixer. So who is God? Over and over, my disappointments draw me deeper into God's being and doing. Every time God declines to meet my expectations, another of my idols is exposed. I often think about the nature of God, and I find myself trying to domesticate God. I find myself envisioning a God that pleases me, or one that's more palatable to the culture. By the way, we've got a word for this thing I do. It's called idolatry. Um, did Gabriel just confess that he's an idolater? Yeah, actually, I, I did. Um, I'm guilty of this, and I regularly ask God to forgive whatever idolatrous views I have of him. My problem, and your problem, by the way, is we don't always know which of the views we have about God are, in fact, idolatrous ones. So, betting on his mercy towards me, I keep asking and seeking, praying, God, who are you? Who are you really? Not as I wish you to be or hope you to be or am afraid of you to be. But given what you've done in my life and in the community of faith around me, what you've revealed about yourself in the scriptures, show me who you are. You know, if you're no longer able to be surprised by God, then something's off. You've got a little system in which God plays. It may be a liberal system. It may be a conservative system. It may be a moderate system. It may not be a system connected with the Christian subculture at all, but you've got, a little, you've got a box in which God functions for you. Sure, it's probably a huge box, but you never find yourself saying things like, God, I, I didn't know that you were like that. God, I had no idea that you were that inclusive. God, I didn't know that you took sin so seriously. Wow, God, I didn't realize you felt that way about me. And if you're humble and open to the Holy Spirit and open to people who think differently than you do, then you'll have those moments. 
Um, because our conceptions of who God is is partial at best, and many times they're idols of our own making. Um, my brother showed me this video this week on YouTube that um, I want to play for you guys. P A R A K G G T. Penguin. It's, it's not a penguin, it's a bird. Oh, yeah, good job. I, 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 A. Mouse. <laughs> T, O, U, X. No, what's C. that? What's this? C. Uh-huh. A. N. N. Crocodile. S M A R K. Dolphin. Wow, that says dolphin. I think I think sometimes we go this passage, this passage, that dream, God. And we, and we just, we're so confident in our view of God and who God is. And um, I think in a lot of ways, we're, we're cute, just like that, to, to the Lord. Um, the, the messages I, in, in my years of preaching that I think are the hardest are the ones that are just about God. Um, it's, it's easier to talk about things that God's done or things we're called to do. But when we're talking about God, we're jumping into an ocean um, <laughs> that we cannot chart. <laughs> we can just ask God, what are some things you've shown us about you? Um, and let's try to think as, as rightly as we can and shed as many idols as we can. <laughs> um, so with that said, let's talk about God today by his grace. Um, so our Christian creeds from the Apostles' Creed on have referred to God as God the Almighty. And by that, we mean the all-powerful God, the omnipotent God. Um, the Hebrews called him El Shaddai, which we translate to mean God Almighty. A.W. Tozer said this about God. To say that God is omnipotent or almighty is to say that he can do anything as easily as anything else. There's no such thing as degrees of ease for God, just as there's no such thing as degrees of difficulty. Simply put, He's able. As we down here in the South have said for generations in the church, he's able. And he's never been unable. He is God Almighty. And the God that we Christians worship and believe in has all power at his disposal. But an all-powerful God isn't necessarily good news for you and me, right? He could be a moral monster. He could be an almighty cruel God or one that's simply indifferent towards his creatures. It's not enough to say that he's all-powerful. It's not enough to say that he's able. We need to know something more about his character, right? And the first person of the Trinity has been revealed to us as the Father Almighty. Um, the Father. If you write one thing down this morning, let's make it this. He's able and he's Father. He's able and he's Father. Um, but at this point, we need to ask a few questions. And th the first one is one I'll revisit later in the message. 
And that's, what does it mean that fatherhood is an essential component of who God is? And then I think the more pressing question is, whose father is he? Now, we might immediately respond, God's my father, or God is our father. True, but we should begin by saying he's the father of the only begotten son, Jesus Christ. It's important that we begin there, because it's by beginning there that we gain the greatest revelation into what God the Father Almighty is like and what God the Father Almighty is doing. So, um, how many of you are just the least bit curious about what the Father's like? Cool. Okay, for like the other 90%, um, you can tune me out. I think you got about another 25 minutes. You can probably go ahead and um, win that argument with your spouse in your head. Um, but for the rest of us, let's go to John 5. Uh, we're going to be in John 5, 19 and 20 right now. Let me read this for us. Jesus says, he's speaking to uh, the religious, Jewish religious leaders. Truly, truly, I say to you, uh, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. So I love this, this, this passage. Jesus says, I just do dad stuff. That's my ministry. If you're reading the Gospels, that's what you're reading, is Jesus going around doing whatever he sees the Father doing. The Father's showing the Son this, and Jesus says, okay, I'm doing that. That's, that's what the four Gospels are. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. The Father shows me what he wants me to do because he loves me. Um, that's what Jesus did in the Gospels. A lot of people have heard a gospel message that um, basically paints God the Son and God the Father as the ultimate good cop, bad cop routine. And it's one that kind of paints the Father like this. In light of our sin, God is an angry, violent deity. He can't stand the presence or even the sight of unholy sinners. But luckily, Jesus came. And Jesus came and died on the cross to save us from his angry dad. Thankfully, Jesus offers his blood to placate his violent father. God had his arm waiting and ready to crush a poor sinner like you. But just in the nick of time, Jesus appears and he's able to calm his father down by pointing to his own bloody death. And then the father sees the agony of his son's crucifixion. And within a moment, his red-hot anger subsides. And he looks at you and he says, I love you so much. And you say, really? I believe you, I think. You know, I hear this and you wonder, yeah. You wonder, yeah, I know why so many people have trouble coming to believe you're a good, good father. I'm loved by you. Um, that's more or less the gospel message that they have heard. Um, and it's true that God's justice and wrath is satisfied by the willing death of his son. But the picture I just painted, although commonly preached, is nothing like what happened on Good Friday. In fact, I believe that we distort the Trinity when we have in our view of salvation Father God who's ticked off until he gets paid off. John 10 17 and 18, Jesus talks about his coming crucifixion. He says, 
For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. We see the fa- Jesus isn't being victimized, certainly not by his Father. He's saying, I'm laying down my life of my own accord. I'm This is a part of our loving relationship that I have with my father as I'm in obedience to his charge. Um, We're in full unity in this. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. I love these scriptures. I love these scriptures so much. Um, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Um, At some point in this sermon, you're going to say, Gabriel, you seem to be talking a lot about Jesus on God the Father Almighty Sunday. And I think it'll begin to click that you can't talk about the Father without talking about the Son. The New Testament doesn't let us. I actually literally, in my preparation of this sermon, was like, I'm going to find a passage that only talks about the Father and just focus on the Father. You don't find those kind of passages. It's always in conjunction with his familial relationship with his son, which I think tells us something profound about who God is. Um, So in verse 19, we read these words, right? That Christ was in, God was, uh, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Um, contrary to the message, I'm just going to leave that ver- those verses up. Contrary to the message that we often hear, God was not outside of Christ waiting to be paid off, right? He's not this angry, arms-crossed dad waiting for some payback. That's not who we find. The father is in Christ pleading with and through his son that sinners would see the self-sacrificing love of God, his longing for reconciliation. That's who we find. The cross is a revelation not of a son who's different from his father, but of a son who's entirely like his father. Brian Zond says this, In Christ we discover a God who would rather die than kill his enemies. And in that act, God paid our debt to himself. Again, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Hang with me for a sec, because what I'm about to share, I think, is so important. Um, And it can be confusing. Hopefully, I communicate it um, clearly. The wording of reconciliation in this text is so important, because it tells us something very profound about who God the Father is. Um, So all humankind stands unreconciled to God in light of our sin against God and against our fellow man. Um, God is the aggrieved party, not us. It's we that have broken fellowship with God, and so it's actually our responsibility to reconcile ourselves to God. But as we know, it's beyond our ability to reconcile ourselves to God. So God does the reconciliation. That's the gospel, right? But verse 19, what does it say? Well, verse 19 does not say that God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world. No, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. To himself. 
Why is that distinction important? Well, it's important because it's not as though God is just trying to concoct a plan to figure out some way to be around unclean sinners. It's not as though God is just so disgusted with sinners, he just can't be around us until it's post-cross days or post-cross your life. No, the Father is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not himself to the world. So just look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this becomes painfully obvious. When the Son of God took on our flesh, he spent more time with tax extortioners, sinners, and prostitutes than with the religious, right? Make no mistake about it. The cross was not about making us tolerable enough for God to be around. Guys, God walked among the dirtiest sinners of society before he went to the cross. Let that sink in. But here's the real kicker. And the father was in the son that entire time. From his manger to his crucifixion. I only do what I see my father doing, Jesus said. I only do what he's doing. He was in him the entire time. Going around, doing dad stuff, partnering with dad. Show us the father and it will be enough for us. We say right along with Philip. And Jesus responds the same way to you and I. Have you been with me so long and you still don't know me, Gabriel? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The Father wasn't shielding his eyes from the sinners his son bumped up against. He was doing the opposite. He was right there in the mess of the fallen humanity that his son touched. In Christ, reconciling the world to himself. If, if I need to say this again, I'll say it from John 17, 10. Jesus says, the Father who's in me does his works. Literally, Jesus is saying, the Father's in me doing his works. He's literally doing his works in and through me. He was in Christ the entire time. Um, so armed with this knowledge, uh, when you read the Gospels, you shouldn't simply say, wow, so this is what Jesus is like, and stop there. When you read Jesus feeding the 5,000 and eating with sinners, you should also say, wow, so this is what the Father is like. This is what the Father's like. As we read in John 5, 20, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. You know, I want to show my daughter Adeline the things that are the most important to me, the things I find to be the most meaningful. Um, my dad showed me the things that he saw as the most powerful and meaningful, and I learned about racial brotherhood and the insanity of racism <laughs> from my dad um, and how to mature into adulthood. When Jesus came, he showed us what the Father had always been like. The author of Hebrews put it this way. He's the exact imprint of God's nature, the exact imprint. No variation. You want to know what the Father's like? Here's my advice to you. Read the Gospels. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he told us. What's the Father like? 
He's like his son. What's the son like? He's like his father. What's the Holy Spirit like? Both of them. And as the Holy Spirit breathes in your life, you feel the breath of the father and the breath of his son in your life. It's we that have hated his light and loved our darkness, according to John 3. It's we that have strayed from our creation purpose. It's we that have uh, sought to become our own God. And it's we that have made ourselves unrighteous and therefore unreconciled to God. And that treachery, that, that golden calf against God was taken from you and put on the shoulders of the Son of God on the cross. And he looked out from there on his murderers and mockers and then up to his father and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And although the father's response isn't recorded for us in scripture, I can just imagine the father saying something like, of course, son, that's what we do. That's who we are. I had a friend that I worked with years ago at a restaurant as a server, and I knew that he'd grown up as a believer, and at some point I walked away from the faith, and I asked him one time, uh, why did you walk away from your faith in Christ? And he said, it's because I could no longer reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament. And I didn't know what to say to him at the time, to be honest, but if I found myself in that situation again, I'd say, just look at the cross. There, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. At Calvary, we find the same God who preached himself to Moses in Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And on the cross, he did not. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And he dispenses forgiveness over iniquity, sin, and transgression. Shows us his, his, his faithfulness. Um, so we've talked about how God is first through the Father of the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, right? So now the question is, how is God Father to other people? Um, well, there, there is a sense, we should say, in which God is everyone's Father, and we are all his children. Um, in Acts 17, Paul, the Apostle Paul tells a group of pagan philosophers that uh, we're all his offspring. And uh, in, Acts, or in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul says that he is the father, God's the father of all. Um, but in a, a more, as we think about that, you know, it's true that uh, we're all from God, and in that sense, we all owe our existence to God. Um, therefore, he is everyone's father, and we are all his offspring. But in a more specific sense, as we think about salvation, we become children of God through faith in Christ and through something the Apostle Paul refers to as the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. Um, just to kind of put this point home that we're not all truly sons of God, God's not truly the father of everyone in the deepest sense. I think of uh, John chapter 8, where Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and they say, we've got Abraham as our father. And Jesus says, if Abraham were your father, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. But right now you're trying to kill me, someone who came from God. Abraham didn't do that kind of stuff. That's my paraphrase. <laughs> um, 
And so then they say, well, you were born of sexual immorality, referring to the scandal of Jesus' virgin birth, right, which they didn't think was a virgin birth. And then they say, um, we have one father, God. And Jesus responds to them, he says, if God were your father, then you would love me. Isn't that profound? Instead, you're trying to kill me. But you do have a father, the devil, and that's why you're not believing me. Yep, leave it to Jesus to go right for the, for the jugular in those moments. Don't worry, you've got a father. Um, Leif Hetland is a preacher and evangelist who basically views the world as this big orphanage, which I think is a, an apt metaphor in many ways. Um, and he talks about how many churches are, are functionally orphanages because although the people um, believe in Jesus and are, are in fact sons and daughters of God, they live with an orphan mindset um, as though they're not really in the family, that they're really not 100% heirs of the kingdom as a son, as a daughter. Um, throughout the Bible, we find a God that is deeply concerned with the widow and the orphan. Um, I love these words from Psalm 68, 5 and 6, that God is father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in this holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. I like the translation that says, God settles the lonely in a home. God does. Um, as I said, the, in the Bible we find, particularly Old Testament, but old and new, God is, is deeply concerned with orphans, but we could even say especially with the fatherless. With the fatherless. Why? Is it because, is it because that God um, cares about the most vulnerable of society? Yes, absolutely it is that. But I think for this message today, we could press a little deeper and ask, well, what does that say about who God is? And I think it reveals something at the core of who God is. That at his core, he's about family. At his core, he's about family. He's God the Father Almighty. First and foremost, he's the father of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Um, check this out. As we know, the Son of God is the only son who has no beginning. Right? And because of that, God has always been a father. God has always been a son. God has always been Holy Spirit. Welcome to the Trinity. But as we think about this, God has always been father. Before God was a creator, he was a father. Before God was a redeemer, he was a father. He never became a father. He's always been a father. Eternally has been a father. He sees the fatherless, orphans both in the natural and in the spiritual, and he, he draws them into his house. He ushers you into family. He sets the lonely in a home. That's what God does. He sets the lonely in a home, and God does this by sending forth his Holy Spirit, which for this particular task, the Apostle Paul calls the Spirit of of adoption. I love that. Um, I'm going to go invite the worship team to come forward. Uh, David Platt, the uh, pastor at, former pastor at Brook Hills, talked about how over the years people would come to he and his wife who have adopted uh, kids and they'd ask him, which of your kids are yours? To which he would say, 
I don't, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, which of your kids are, are your kids? I, I don't know what you mean by that. He would, that's how he would respond, just make him feel super uncomfortable. Um, of course, he knew that they were asking, which of yours are your biological children? Um, but I think that in many ways, it can be hard for us to fully embrace as adopted sons, as adopted daughters, that I am 100% in his house, 100% an heir of the kingdom. He is my father on my best and on my worst day. I always have a seat at his table. And the spirit of adoption comes and testifies with your spirit that you are children of God, that you are children of God. Um, Richard Foster in his book on prayer tells a story about a friend of his who was going through a shopping mall with his little boy, and his, his boy was just throwing a tantrum, um, and in spite of his efforts to calm him down, he couldn't, he couldn't, he was just being disobedient and yelling and screaming, and, um, and so the father leaned in and uh, off key with no words that rhyme, just began singing over his son, I love you, you're my boy. You make me happy. And his son slowly began listening to this strange song coming from his father and calmed down and just listened as his father sung that over him. As he put him back in the cart um, after they were done, the kid just said, sing it to me again, Daddy. Sing it to me again. The Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. If I can use that imagery, he sings it over us. He sings it over you. Last week, Pastor Bart talked about how the truths of the gospel direct our steps, that our actions flow out of our beliefs about God and who he is. Um, what would it look like if we believed that we had on our side the Almighty Father? I mean, really believed it. How then would we think about our finances? How then would you think towards your kids? How would you think about yourself if you were in fact a son or daughter of the king and believed it at your core? God sends forth a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And as I said at the beginning of this message, he's able and he's father. He's never been unable. That, that doesn't mean, by the way, that he gives his sons and daughters whatever they ask for. As any good parent among you knows with your own kids, right? We don't give a BB gun to a four-year-old because he cleaned his room and asked nicely. God knows what you need better than you do. And that, that may sound like a trite Christian phrase and a cliche, I don't, I don't care. It may be a cliche, but there's no better way to say that. God knows what you need better than you do. He is in the deepest sense for you. And that, that means that he is committed to seeing the Son of God, the image of Christ, formed in you by whatever means as you partner with the Holy Spirit. It means that he gives you daily bread and clothes you like the lilies of the field. It means, as Pastor Bart has said for decades now, that he's able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or even imagine. I want to say this. This is maybe one of the most important things I want to say this morning. How God chooses to use 
his unlimited ability in your life will be guided by his Father's heart towards you. Do you believe that? Some of you can say, yes, I do believe that. Others of you may say, some days I do, other days I don't. And some of you may say, if I'm honest with myself, I don't believe that, but I want to. God takes you where you are. I want to open up some time for prayer as the team leads us. If you just like prayer today, let's, can we stand? If you just like prayer today um, for whatever, I just want to invite y'all just to come forward and fill this space. And um, we want to have teams that can be praying uh, for you. So as I pray, I just want to invite you guys to come forward if you'd like to receive prayer. Father, we just ask, Lord, that your Father's heart would be awakened to us, Lord. We would see ourselves as adopted into the family, fully yours, known and loved. God, I ask that you would just release your heart to us, God. Claim us for yourself. Show us how how deeply we belong, Lord, on our best and our worst days, Lord. Amen. As we go back into worship and as we receive prayers, we invite you to come forward and just have a moment with the Lord.